Please be opening your Bible to the book of Colossians chapter 3 as we continue this series of sermons on the family, talking about the future of our family and what you and I can do today to give our families a better opportunity of being healthy and happy in the years to come. And uh, to help you think about today's topic, I want to just remind all of us, have you, have you noticed how because of the way our society is so prone to lawsuits that every product that is sold comes with all these warning labels? I mean, sometimes when you see commercials on televisions and, and you get excited about a product, toward the end of the commercial you're scared to buy the product because of all the warnings, Right? And, uh, and it's amazing what we put warning labels on. You know, companies do that to minimize their exposure. But some of them are, you know, kind of obvious or silly or funny. For instance, there was, there was one company that was selling, a, you know, one of these round globes of the earth. And one of the warnings on that globe was this globe should not be referred to for navigation. An electric razor. Okay, guys, an electric razor. Never use while sleeping. A fishing lure with hooks. Harmful if swallowed. Really? A bottle of sleeping pills. May cause drowsiness. I hope so. A food blender, ladies, a food blender, a mixer. You ready? Never remove food from the blades while the product is operating. It gets better. A baby stroller. Remove child before folding. Yeah. I'm not done. A dishwasher. Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. I mean, I read some of those sometimes. You know, it's, it's like that tag on your mattress when you buy it. Do not remove under penalty of law. I've always wondered what's going to happen to me if, when, when I tear that off. Because I tear them all off. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that on television. <laughs> you know, some of those things, they really are silly, aren't they? But when God gives a warning... There's nothing silly about it. When God gives a warning, it's to be taken seriously, very seriously. Because ignoring his warnings brings with it consequences and risk. Today, we're going to look at some warnings that God sounds in Scripture, particularly Colossians 3. So go ahead and open your Bible there, please. Some warnings that God sounds when it comes to relationships, any relationship, but this morning we're focusing on how these warnings apply to our relationships as a family and the impact that disregarding these warnings can have on our family, not only in this moment, but in moments to come. You'll remember that one of the principles that we're holding up in this sermon series is the law of cause and effect, that For everything we do, there is a reaction, there is an outcome, there is an effect. Every behavior, every word, every attitude, it has results, not only now, but down the road. 
and that not everything but many things that are happening in my family life today are the product of things that members of my family, including myself, did in the past. Some of you are struggling, for instance, to overcome habits and and approaches to things because of your family history, things you inherited from past generations. And so we're going to look today at these, these warnings because this cause and effect thing is very, very, very important. And, and what we're doing today and the growth we experience today or the lack of growth that we achieve today is going to affect our family tomorrow. And so you'll remember that we've said verses 18 to 21 in this chapter are four verses where he deals with the family, but he only says a little bit. It's brief. They're pointed. They're important. But the reason he said so little about the family in this chapter and so much about our relationships with fellow believers because the 17 previous verses talk about your relationships with other Christians. The reason is those principles that apply to how you interact with one another here at church, in your Sunday school class, during social gatherings, out in public, Those principles also apply to how we interact with members of our own family. He didn't need to repeat them. It's just a given. And so he begins this chapter in verses 1 through 4 by describing our relationship with Jesus, which is the foundation for all other relationships. How you and I as followers of Christ treat people in the church, in the community, and at home is governed by the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives and our relationship with him. And he says because we have Christ, we seek focus on those things above. We, we take our guidance from heaven, not from culture, not from the earth, not from the world. And then he describes a negative and a positive. He says, here's how the world does it. Here's how your flesh, here's what's natural. And that's negative and it has negative consequences. But as a follower of Christ, you've put on the new person, a new self. You've taken off the old clothes. You've killed the old man. You're a new person in Christ, guided from above, seeking the things of heaven. And you are to put on the new, the positive, when it comes to relationships. And we're going to focus on the positive next Sunday. But this morning, and we could take weeks doing it, but we're going to do it in one sermon. We're going to look at the negative that he describes in this passage. And so let's read together, starting at verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and following. He says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Don't use your body, your personhood, to commit these sins. Consider yourself as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry, and, he's, and then he talks about the wrath of God that comes on people who do these things. And we talked about that last Sunday in verse 6. Verse 7, that's how you used to live before you became a follower of Christ. It's not to be part of your life today. If it is, you're acting like the old you, not the new you. You're acting like someone who doesn't know Christ rather than someone who does know Christ. Verse 7. And in verse 8 he says, put all those things aside. Take those garments, those clothings, those behaviors off. And then he goes on, here's some more. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. Literally, stop lying to one another. Now, what I want us to do is, is to look through these two negative lists, these two what in many commentaries are called sin lists, negative behaviors that God says are are associated with the earthly, not the heavenly, with the old you, not the new you, those who don't know Christ instead of those who do know Christ. And I want you to do something. I want you to, to ask yourself some questions as we go through this list. One of the questions I want you to ask yourself is, what kind of impact would these behaviors have on relationships? Just think about that. What, what kind of impact or effect will these individual actions have on my family, both now and tomorrow? If, if I'm guilty of these or other members of my family are guilty of these, what's that going to do to my family in the future? Not just today, but in the future. Secondly, I want you to ask yourself, am I struggling with any of these? The truth is, some of us probably are. Am I struggling with any of these? Which ones? And I also want you to think about your family heritage, your family history, because some of you, as we go through this, you're going to say, that's my dad, that's my mom, that was my grandfather, that's my uncle. Some of you have learned patterns of behavior. Because, let's, let's, let's be honest for a moment, no one in this room has it all together. No one in this room is perfect. No one in this room is godly in every area of life every one of us each of us are struggling tempted none none as obedient as we need to be in some areas of life and if we say we're not we're deceiving ourselves the truth is not in us scripture says where are you struggling and secondly you learn some really good things from the family that you were born into, but you also probably learned some bad habits from the family you were born into. Which, were, which was which? And, and all of us know that we had to make some decisions sometimes to change some of what we have inherited and to chart a, a new course for our family in the future. And we need to be intentional about that. So let's look at these behaviors as he describes them uh, here. And, and there are multiple sin lists in the New Testament. We're, we, we're looking at these two. The first one now is in verse 5. And I want you to notice something about these, these two sin lists. One is sexual and the other is verbal. The, these listings of sins fall into two categories. Uh, some of them are external. Others are internal. And the reason that is important is some Christians focus really hard on external behavior while ignoring internal sin. Others do just the opposite. Some of these sins are actions, behaviors. Others are emotions. Some of us who focus on behavior justify wrong emotions. And so these, these two listing of sin, list of sins touch on all of those all of those, those, those things. So let's look at the sexual list of sins first in verse 5 that he says we're to consider our members, our body dead to, literally to kill. And the first is immorality. And what he does, it's interesting. In verse 5, he begins with the very broad and makes it more narrow. He begins with external things and moves inwardly. 
And the second list, verses 8 and the first part of verse 9, is just the opposite. He begins on the inside and moves outward. Now the first list in verse 5, the sexual sin, sins where he, where he begins on the outside and moves inward. Notice what he talks about, immorality. Immorality is a very broad word in the Greek language. It refers to any sexual activity outside the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. So it covers every sin that is sexual. Anything that is impure, anything that is wrong, anything that is, that is, that is, that is immoral sexually is included in this word. Uh, I think the, the, the King James translates it fornication. It's the word pornea. We get our English word pornography from, from it. And so any sexual behavior, it's not just sex between you know, two people who aren't married. It is any sexual behavior, physical, mental, any sexual activity outside the, the relationship of a man and woman in holy matrimony is included in this word, pornea, immorality. It's a very broad word. And our culture likes it that way. It likes it broad. And, and whatever you, you enjoy. And yet the Bible teaches that as followers of Christ, we practice self-discipline and, and obedience to the word of Christ. Now the second word in verse, verse 5 is, is impurity. Or your Bible may translate it uncleanness. It's, it's, it's a word that has the idea of being morally dirty, morally impure, morally um, contaminated. I mean, it's, it's like you ever, you ever been drinking something and, uh, you know, and a, a bug got in it? <laughs> you, know, you know, you ever been outside in the summer, cookout, and you had this nice glass of, of, of tea? And you look down, there was a gnat in it. It's contaminated. You, you ever put new carpet in your house? And uh, the first time one of the kids or grandkids ran in with dirty shoes? It's contaminated. This word impure is the idea of being morally unclean, morally dirty. It's something that contaminates us and it's incompatible with the purity of Jesus. Now, people tend to focus on Jesus and his love. And no one loved like Jesus Christ. But Jesus also was pure. The Bible says that he was without sin. There was no contamination in him, no impurity in him, no immorality in him. He was without sin. It says even though he was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. So he was loved, but he was also pure. And you remember when the woman who was caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus and thrown on the ground in front of him? You see both Jesus' love and purity in play. You see his love and mercy in that he looked at the woman after those who had accused her left after he said, the one who's without sin, throw the first stone, and they all dropped their rocks and walked off. And he looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. You see his love. But you also see his purity when he said to her, not only do I not condemn you, then he said to her, go and do what? Sin no more. So Jesus was love and Jesus was pure. Jesus, as we saw last Sunday, is the very person who said when a man looks at a woman 
And his mind starts rambling. Okay? He begins lusting. Jesus said that man has committed adultery with that woman in his heart already. Jesus was both loving and pure. And this this impurity, this sexual immorality, pornea, and this impurity is incompatible with both the mercy and purity of Jesus Christ. And so here it's becoming a little bit more defined and it's being impure, contaminated morally as it relates to sex both in your thoughts, words, and behavior. The third word is passion. I think one Bible translates it lust. Do you know how Webster's Dictionary defines lust? An overmastering and overpowering desire. Here it's dealing with sexual urges. Now you can lust for anything. You can have passion for anything. But in this context it's dealing with lust or passion for sex. And when it becomes overpowering in your life. These sexual urges that lead to impurity. You know what the heavenly, heavenly view versus the earthly view when it comes to these things is? You're in the book of Colossians. The very next book, the very next page is 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 3. He said, this is the will of God. What does God expect? What does God want of us as followers of Christ? Your sanctification. Now, sanctification means you belong to God. You're the possession of God. You are an instrument in the hands of God. Therefore, look like it. Act like it. That's where the the purity comes from. The the basis for our our commitment to godliness, to Christ's likeness, is the sanctification that is a reality because we already, already belong to Christ. We're already the instrument of Christ. And as such, we are to be being sanctified to work out our salvation and growing in holiness. To grow in our ability to act like, look like, talk like, think like, live like, Someone who belongs to God. Because you are sanctified, act sanctified is the idea. He said, here's what that looks like. That you abstain from what? Sexual immorality, this word we're talking about here. That you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Self-discipline. Followers of Christ do not allow their passion, their emotions, their lust, their wants, their desires to dictate what is right, what is wrong, what they do and what they don't do. We practice self-discipline in these areas. Because we are sanctified, we belong to Christ, we act like it. That means, he says in verse 4, that we know how to possess, control our own vessel, our own body in sanctification and honor. Self-discipline. Not in lustful passion. Doing something just because you feel it. Doing something just because you want it. Doing something just because you have the urge does not make it right. Self-discipline. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. If you just follow your emotions, you're, you're acting like a lost person. Verse 6, see to it that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter. Talking about these sexual errors. Why? Because do you know that when, 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 you're, when you participate in sexual sins, you are defrauding someone else? 
You're stealing from someone else. You're stealing from that man who's married to that woman. You're stealing from that woman who's married to that man. You're stealing from that man or woman who in the future God has selected to marry that young lady, to marry that young man down the road. You're robbing from them in the eyes of God. Transgress, even when people agree to to do things, they're still transgressing one another in the eyes of God because he says in verse 6, the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Where do we get our guidelines? From heaven. Where do the warnings come from? The Lord. Are they frivolous? Are they silly? No. Are they serious? Absolutely. Verse 7, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, the word we just looked at, but sanctification. So that, now notice the verse 8, so he who rejects this, what we're just reading, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but whom? What does it say? God. So, some pretty strong teaching on sexual morality. Completely at odds with culture. At odds with human nature. With human urges. Because our body is sinful. And as such, many of our urges are sinful. And what happened, when I said lust is an overmastering desire, listen, God is the one who created sex. But when you deal with it wrongly out of the teaching of Christ, then it, it, it gets stronger in your life. It takes over your life and it begins ruling you instead of you ruling it. Well, let's go on for the sake of time. Evil desire is the next word. That is wanting what is forbidden. And you feed the desire for what is forbidden until it grows and becomes lust or passion. And once it becomes lust or passion, it results in behavior. And then do you know, and it's interesting, all sexual sins begin in the same place. All sexual sin begins with greed and idolatry. Because at the end of verse verse 5 in Colossians 3, after talking about immorality, impurity, passion or lust, evil desire, then he says, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Greed. What is greed? Greed is wanting more of anything. Wanting more of what you don't have. Wanting what belongs to another person. And in this area of sexuality, it's thinking, "I, I should have that. I want that. It's all right if I get that. That's greed. And it feeds the sinful urges, which then become overmastering desires or lusts, which then become sin. And he says, this amounts to idolatry. Why? Because it begins to, to consume your attention. Your, your focus shift, shifts from what God wants to what you want. You, you begin getting your guidance, not from heaven, but from earth. Not from, from Jesus, who's, as we saw the other day, is seated at the right hand of authority in heaven, but from your own flesh. 
And, and when what you want becomes more important than what God wants, that's exactly what idolatry is. Idolatry is not just carving out a little idol from a piece of wood or fashioning it from precious metals and setting it on a shelf in your house and bowing to it. That's just one expression of idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship anything in your heart above Christ. And he said, all these urges, that's, that's where they grow from. Now, now, let me ask you, these sexual sins, do they hurt relationships? Can they have an impact on the future of your family? Husbands and wives, how, how does it make your spouse feel when you're guilty of any of these sins parents grandparents if you're guilty of any of these sins what are you teaching your children and grandchildren what are you not teaching them in terms of how to have a relationship that is pure and loving single person single adult What kind of mate are you attracting if your lifestyle is this? All of us. If if we're going this direction, what are we doing to our soul? What are we doing to our body? What are we doing to our purity? What What are we doing to our obedience to Christ and His Word? Well, Real quickly, we've got the verbal sins in verses 8 and 9. And, and, and here he begins on the inside and, and works outward. He, he, he begins with emotion and moves to behavior. He, he starts with, in, in verse 8 with anger. Now anger, anger this, this Greek word means you're mad at somebody on the inside. You don't, you don't like them. You're upset with them. And it can even be hatred. But it's all bottled up. It's under the surface and, and you usually don't show it, but every now and then it kind of comes out. But it's an emotion you're not going to let go of. Do any of you know somebody that if you ever get on their bad side, you're on their bad side till they die? Are you that person? It's just all in there all the time. What kind of effect do you think that has on your ability to be in a relationship with people in your family? The next word is wrath, or some Bibles translate it rage. You know what wrath is? It's anger let loose. <laughs> it's, it's rage. It boils over. It bursts out. It's, it's sudden, and it's violent, and it's hot. and It's, a, it's, it's what we usually mean when we, when we say, you know, he's got a bad temper. Be careful what you said to her. She, 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 she can get hot real quick. That's rage. That's wrath. Parents, let me ask you. Grandparents, do you know what we learn about children who grew up with a parent or a grandparent who has a temper problem? Hmm? You know what we learn? Those children struggle more than other children to develop self-esteem. Those children, as they become adolescents and adults, struggle more than other kids to know how to deal with their emotions, how to express them properly. 
We learn that when they become adults and begin dating and get married, that, that some of them struggle because of their emotional struggles with connection and with closeness and with intimacy. And when we say, oh, that's just how I am, we're ignoring the damage we're doing to the generations that come after us. That's why anger and wrath is in this list, not the godly positive list. The third word in this list, in verse 8, is malice. Malice is ill will toward another person that you act on. You're mad at them, you don't like them, and you're going to get them. You're going to do something. You're going to hurt them in some way. You're going to show them who's right and who's boss. Tit for tat. Let me ask you, what does tit for tat do in a family? Hmm? What does it do in the family? I told you this was a pretty negative list. But it's a serious warning. These things will hurt you. The next word is slander. It's... It's the word that we sometimes translate as blasphemy. You know, you blaspheme God, you dishonor God's name, you dishonor God's reputation. Well, the word can be used for what we do with other people as well. You can blaspheme another person. You can dishonor another person. You can hurt their reputation. Repeating gossip and rumors and innuendo. You, you, you can damage another, you can blaspheme another person by being quiet when something is said that you know is not true, but you remain quiet so others will think it's true. It's blasphemy against another human being. Who, and, and the reason the word is applied both to God and to people is because you dishonor God, it's blasphemy, but when you dishonor another person, it's blasphemy. You know why? Because you're dishonoring somebody created in the image of God. You ever say, did you hear? Did did, did you know? I I really shouldn't say this, but. Abusive speech is the next word. Some Bibles translate it filthy speech or filthy communication. The word can mean both crude, filthy language and abusive speech. And both of those types of communication hurt relationships the truth is the bible says that our speech is to build people up not tear them down our our speech is to teach them how to love and be pure not how to be sinful and dirty and then he says don't lie to one another literally in the greek it's the verb tense is stop lying you're doing it stop it do you know what being untruthful in family life does destroys trust husbands and wives have to be able to trust each other kids have to be able to trust their parents parents have to be able to trust their kids dishonesty destroys trust so do do any of these behaviors describe you Are you willing to kill it, to to take it off? Let me me ask and answer two or three questions real quick. 
What if you failed miserably in the past in one of these areas? Let's say in your past, you, uh, you, you really struggled with one of these. You, you made a mess in one of these areas in your past. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you cannot undo the past, can you? One thing you can do is apologize. I read an article this weekend. about the book that Johnny Cash's first wife wrote about their um, almost two decades together. You don't ever hear much about her, do you? And she and the children describe how Johnny Cash ultimately apologized to his children, but he never apologized to her. One thing you can do if these are part of your past, is you can't undo it, but you can't apologize. You can own it. And that makes a world of difference if you're genuine about it. You can't be flippant. Repentance has to be done in brokenness and in sorrow. Apologize. And then do verse 10. Verse 10, put on the new self. We'll talk about that next week more. The new you. Because who you were doesn't have to be who you will be. It doesn't even have to be who you is. (laughs) Unless you allow the old you to continue being you. Put on the new you. Here's the second question. Can a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ enjoy sex? Because some of you came along in a generation when <laughs> about everything you heard from your parents in church thought, no. You know who created it, don't you? And the Bible celebrates it in a loving relationship between a husband and wife, a man and a woman, in marriage. Yeah, enjoy. It's God's gift, God's blessing. Any other view of it is a distorted, unbiblical view of it. Here's a third question. How can I change? All right, as I wrap this up, I'm going to give you two two suggestions for changing. If you're struggling with one of these sins now, whether it's in the sexual area or the emotional verbal area, whether it's internal or external, whether it's emotions or behavior, what do you do? How do you change? You you inherited a history from the past that you're struggling to change. How do you change? Two suggestions. Number one, you have to identify and own the bad behavior. As long as you keep making excuses, you'll keep doing it. You've got to identify it. You've got to own it. So get out a piece of paper and make a list of those bad behaviors. And then out beside each one, write the new behavior you want to replace it with. You've got to verbalize it. You've got to identify it. And then pick the worst one. Because if you try to do too many at one time, you won't succeed at any of them. Pick the worst one and practice the new behavior every moment, every day, for months until you change. You've got to be like a, what's that old saying, you know, like, a, like a bull in a china shop? You've got to be determined 
You've got to be committed. You've got to be sold out to developing that new baby. You see, see, habits develop over time and repetition, right? How do, how do you develop new habits? Over time and repetition. But then here's the second suggestion for changing. You've got to listen to what God says. You need to listen to what God says. I'm going to show you a few verses on the screen. I'm done. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. If you want to be smarter and better in the future, listen to what God is saying to you today. And also listen to what godly people who love you and have your best interest at heart are trying to tell you about you. Here's another verse. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. As long as you make excuses, deny it, hide it, say it's not real, oh, it's not that bad, nothing's ever going to get any better. You have to own it. God says you never grow by being in denial. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what? He will forgive us. You've got to get on your face before God and say, I'm wrong, God. I'm sorry. Confess literally means to say the same thing, speak the same word. It means you say exactly what God says. You agree with God about that behavior, about that emotion, about those words. And you repent of it and you ask God's forgiveness. You're not going to be healed. You're not going to be restored. You're not going to get better if you can't confess your failure and your sin to God you got to be cleansed because you don't want that old sin and that old guilt keeping its claws in you let God dig them out and free you of it Romans 12 1 I urge you brethren by the mercies because of the love of God present your body as a living sacrifice Colossians 3 kill those things in your body that's leading to these sins take your body everything that's a part of your personhood and lay it on the altar of Jesus Christ and say God I me all of this is a living holy sacrifice to you my God and my King all of it belongs to you, God. My, my mental life, my emotional life, my physical life, my sexual life, my money life, my work life. All of it, God. James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. You need a prayer partner. Quit trying to do everything by yourself. And you need an accountability partner. You, you need to give somebody permission to smack you upside the head. Call you out. Hold you accountable. And you need that prayer partner. And then one last one. Psalm 1. How blessed happy is the man who does not walk live in the counsel of the wicked don't listen to what the world and culture says they're standing the paths of sinners hey don't follow the one you know don't follow what everybody down here's doing because if you do you're going to go the same place they're going but the blessed the happy man his delight is where the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night first four verses of colossians seek those things above those things from heaven Every day, feast on the Word of God. If you're addicted to pornography, turn off your internet, turn off your computer, turn off your TV, and open the Bible. 
If you're struggling with lust, do the same thing. Open the Word of God. Keep it in front of you all the time. Turn off the radio, Sirius, XM, whatever it is, MTV, anything else, and turn on some music that will bless your heart and bless your soul and make you think about the things of heaven rather than the things of hell. You want to be godly? Then do the things that foster godliness in your life. You want to be stronger? Then exercise Christ's likeness instead of the sin that comes from the pits of of, of Satan himself. Allow God to build into your life what will make you a better you so your family can, can be better down the road so that you're doing those things that allow your family to prosper instead of those things that bring harm and hurt and pain and ruin to it. Do you get it? Now we're going to talk about the positive next Sunday. But brothers and sisters, when it comes to love and relationships, it takes a whole bunch of positive behavior to make up for one bad behavior. That's just how life works. And and if you think you can fix things by just focusing on the positive and not dealing with the negative, you're sticking your head in the sand. It doesn't work that way. Because all the good you do, you'll undo with the bad negative behavior. All the good you teach your kids and grandkids, you'll also hinder them because of the bad you teach them. you got to deal with the negative while also dealing with the positive. And so, let's stand. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. And as the Lord has spoken to your heart, obey Him. Obey Him. You, you, you may need to reach over and grab the hand of a loved one that's here with you and just squeeze it and say, Hey, I, I love you and I'm recommitting myself to you. And we're going to talk about that thing later because he or she will know what that thing is, right? Love your family enough to do that. Come and get on your knees at this altar. This is, this is an altar. Get on your knees here before God and ask His help. Ask His forgiveness. Ask His strength. Ask His guidance. Ask for freedom. Pray for your family.